Good morning. Good morning. This morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. This is exciting. It's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. You know, it's referred to oftentimes, the Hall of Faith. Isn't that cool? The Hall of Faith? Like the Hall of Fame, you know? Like the rodeo? Like you have, yeah, the rodeo Hall of Fame. or yeah, Celebrity Hall of Fame. Or just okay. Hall, of, Hall of Fames, yeah. Country Football Music. Hall of Fame. Yeah, Football Hall of Fame. Or like the Country Music Hall of Fame. Have you been there? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, and so it's like all these stars, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, this is oftentimes referred to as the Hall of Faith. I like the Hall of Fame, <clears throat> but God is going to go through and highlight some people in the Bible that had exceptional faith. Because when we have faith, that's how we please God. And we'll learn a little bit what faith is. So Hebrews. Chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together, learn about who you are, your will and your ways, how you lead us and guide us. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts. That you would just strengthen us, encourage us, bless us, make us more like you. I ask that you would grant each of us patience. In wisdom, knowledge, understanding, that you would lead us and guide us through every situation that we're in, that we would look and lean on you during and through every situation we go through. I ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would chasten us when needed, that you would lead us and guide us and love us in the way that only you can. I ask that your words would be spoken here this morning, not mine. You would just encourage us. In Jesus' name, pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So, <clears throat> we'll start Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Are you there? So, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. So faith is the things that we hope for will happen, but can't, we can't actually see, right? If we can see it and we know that it's there, that's not faith, right? So if I take this cup and I put it under the table and you walk into the room and I say, Kennedy, there's a cup under the table. And if you look under there and you believe it, that's not really faith, is it? Because you've seen it. If I tell you that, Kennedy, when you walk into the room, there's a cup under the table and you just believe me, what does that take? Without you looking under the table, that takes faith. Trust. You believe. Trust. Yep, that's right. And that's what faith is. So... Faith is believing, <clears throat> but here in the New Living Translation, the word faith is used 254 times. Does that seem like a lot? Do you know how many times it's used in the Old Testament? 327. 
10 times. It comes up 10 times in the Old Testament. And if you're using the New King James Version, it comes up two times in the Old Testament. But do you know where it comes up a whole lot? In the New Testament. Like 244 times it's used in the New Testament. Jesus used it a lot. So faith is important, right? Faith is believing what we can't see. Indeed. So with that, let's go to a few places in the Bible and look up some of the things that it says about faith. We'll start in Genesis chapter 15. So Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. That's all the way in the beginning. The very first book of the Bible. Chapter 15. 15, let's go. Verse 6. Yep. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So we just talked about that, right? Faith is believing, right? Trusting, right? Abram or Abraham, later on he's called, believed in the Lord. The Lord counted him as righteous, being in right standing with God or right living with God, right? And why did he do that? Because of Abram or Abraham's faith, right? So believing in what Abraham couldn't see or hadn't seen yet or hadn't happened yet, but believe would happen. So when we believe that we will go to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus, when we believe in him, that takes faith, right? Or when we believe that in a certain situation or certain circumstance, so we do what God has asked us to do, even when the world tells us to do the opposite, but we trust in God, that takes faith and that pleases God. Let's go to a little further down, Genesis chapter 22 now. So Genesis chapter 22, a few few chapters down, verse 1. So Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham called... Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. And he tested his faith by asking him to take his one and only son, but he had multiple sons, but we won't get into that in this study, and take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him, right? Yeah. So his one and only son at that time must not have been a teenager because that would not have been much of a sacrifice, huh? You're so mean. (laughs) 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 <laughs> or a preteen. Hey. Or a middle-aged man. <laughs> so anyways, back to the study. So sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. So does God test our faith? Uh-huh. When we believe in God or we trust in God, does God sometimes put circumstances or situations in our lives that are going to test our faith? Are we going to believe what God said? Or are we going to believe what the world says, right? So... So, next, let's go to Psalm chapter 116. Psalm 116, verse 6. Psalm 
So Psalm 116, verse 6, The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. So the Lord protects those who have childlike faith. What do you think childlike faith is? Little. Little faith? See, I would say to you that childlike faith is big faith, right? So when you're a child, do you believe what your parents tell you? Uh Yeah, usually. And it, that takes faith because maybe you haven't seen that happen yet. How many kids do you think believe in Santa Claus? A lot. lot. And why do they do that? Because their parents told them that, right? And that takes faith. So my favorite story on this childlike faith was when we were going to church in Castle Rock. And Dave, Pastor Dave, told us a story about his family. That they were driving across somewhere, Kansas or something like that. And they stopped at a truck stop or a gas station. And there was a jackalope. Have you ever seen, heard of one of these? <laughs> so, so the jackalope is like a, a, a jackrabbit. And then they put antlers on them in the taxidermy place. And they call them jackalopes. There's no such thing as a jackalope. There's no jackrabbit or any rabbit out there that has antlers on it. And so it's kind of a made-up thing. It's just a, a story, a funny story. So anyways, they saw that at the gas station, and so Dave was telling his, his daughters about that or his kids about that, you know, and they were young. I don't remember what he said, like six or seven or something like that. And tell them, oh yeah, watch for jackalopes as we're driving. You never know when you're going to see one. They're pretty quick. And so then, like years and years later, his daughter's like 12 or something, and he said that he heard her telling some of her friends about this jackalopes that they saw <laughs> because... Her dad told her so, and she believed it, right? She had this childlike faith. You believe what your parents tell you. So so you have this childlike faith. So I'd say to you, the childlike faith is not small faith. It's big faith, right? You truly believe and that you have a father in heaven, just like you have a father here on this earth who tells you things, and the childlike faith is believing it, Right? Without wavering or without second-guessing it, you just believe it because your dad told you so, right? Not your dad here on earth, but your father in heaven. So, let's go to Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. So, yep, Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. It's right after Nahum. There's Nahum, then Habakkuk. If you get to Zephaniah, you went too far. (laughs) You have all those books memorized? (laughs) Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. So Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. So Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Right? The righteous, doing right things, you live by your faithfulness to God. The New King James Version says it a little bit easy, a little bit uh, differently. 
the, more like we live by faith and not by sight. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, we haven't got to that one yet. That's the next one in my notes. But the, the New King James says it a little bit differently than that. So let me look that up for you here real quick. The New King James Version says, Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So when we want to live right with God, we live by our faith. Our faith is what pleases God, right? Can we please God without faith? The Bible says no. So faith is important. Next, we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we live by believing, not by seeing. So we live by faith and not by sight, right? Faith is believing. Not by what we see, but by what we believe. What we trust in, what we hope for. And when we hope in the things of God, what is that? It's a guarantee, right? All of God's promises come true. 100% of the time. So do we have an understanding of what faith is? Faith is believing, not by what we see, but by believing in what God has promised us or what he tells us will happen. When we hopefully believe in our hope in Christ, our hope in salvation is not like a cross my fingers, 50-50 chance it'll get there. That is a guarantee, right? God's promises are always guarantees. So let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. And we've kind of been over this before, but we're going to go over it again. And what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So it didn't come from anything, any matter. There was no Big Bang. There was no stardust that started all this. No explosion. It didn't come from anything that can be seen. What did it come from? The breath of God, right? God created everything with his word. And how do we know that? Well, let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. And in these first five verses, when it says the Word, it's referring to Jesus, right? So John, the the writer of this gospel, is referring to Jesus as the Word. So in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. 
God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So I always like to read this and replace the word or the pronouns with Jesus' name. So in the beginning, Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Jesus. And nothing was created except through Jesus. Jesus gave life to everything that was created. And Jesus' life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So God makes it very clear that Jesus is God, that he always existed, that he was in the beginning, and that in this story of creation, or this talk of creation, it was Jesus that created everything. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? So when we're looking deeper into Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. We know that the entire universe was formed at Jesus' command, that he created everything, and that nothing was created except through him. So let's go to Psalms chapter 33, or I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 33. See what it says about this creation and who created what and how it was created. So Psalm chapter 33, starting in verse 6. So Psalm 33, verse 6. The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries, and he locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. So when Jesus spoke, the world began, and it appeared from nothing at his command. So let's go back and read about this account. This creation account. So let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So when we read about this, and God says, let there be light. Who is that one? Who's the one that's speaking? Jesus. Jesus. And what happens when he says, let there be light? Light is created. So how did he create it? With his work, right? He spoke it into existence. And it, does it take faith to believe that? Yes. Because we weren't there when it happened, right? Do you have to believe that to be saved? No. You don't. But do you have to believe that to please God? That's a yes. You'd have to believe that to please God. Does that mean that God doesn't like or despises those who don't believe that God created everything? 
I would say no. God loves everyone. That's why he sent his son to die for them. But if we want to live by faith, and we want to enjoy all that God has for us, it takes faith to please him. And faith is believing that he did what he said he did. And he says that he created everything and he spoke it into existence, right? So it's important to believe that. Because if we can't believe the first part of the Bible, verse 1, isn't it going to make it hard to believe some of the other things in the Bible? And I would say to you, yes, they would. So, so this is not a salvation issue, but this is a pleasing God issue, right? We want to live a life that pleases God. And when we believe in him, when we have faith, that pleases God. So, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So how did that happen? Jesus said, Let there be light, and there was light. So he spoke it into existence, right? That's what Hebrews says. That's what we read in Psalms. That's what John says. The Gospel of John, that he spoke everything into existence, that he created everything that was created by him speaking it, right? So Jesus created everything, and he spoke it into existence. Verse 4, And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day, or more literally, marking day one, the beginning, right? The first day of existence. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters from the earth, from the waters from the heaven. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. So how did he create the sky? He spoke it into existence, right? He said, let this happen. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place, so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land. And the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant, trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. So these seeds would produce the same kinds of fruits or the same kinds of plants or the same kinds of trees. There wasn't a mutation that would make different kinds, but it would be the same kind. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruits. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. So, so far, he spoke everything into existence, right? You see how that happened? God said, let this happen, and it happened. 
That makes sense. And we know that the one that's actually speaking is Jesus, right? So Jesus said, let this happen, and it happened. Then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. So he says, let this happen, and that's what happened. So he speaks it, and it happens. It all gets formed from nothing. He didn't create it out of anything. He created it from nothing with his word. So how powerful is God's word? Very powerful, right? And how powerful is his word in our lives? Very powerful. So God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. So what do you think these two great lights are? The sun and the moon, right? But I'm confused. Didn't he make light on day one? Oh, but is the sun the only source of light that we have? No. Well, you have stars, but don't we have like lights from electricity? Don't we have light from fire? Yeah. So there's different ways that there's light. So day one, he created light, and there's sources of light. Here we read specifically, he created the sun and the moon. These are different sources of light. Make sense? So, So God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, and separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the, wa- swarms in the water. And every sort of bird each producing offspring of the same kind. So not a mutation, but they each reproduced offspring of the same kind, right? And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. So here, day five, he's created what? He created light. He created sky. He created land and the vegetation, right? He created the moon and the stars and the sun, right? Yep, he separated the waters, creating the sky. Yep. And then here on the fifth day, he's created all the stuff that is in the sea and all the birds in the air. So what is left to create after that? Humans. Humans? What else? Animals. Animals. There you go. So let's see what happens. So then here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind. So not a mutation of animals. They don't evolve, Right? We didn't start off with a monkey that evolved into a human because those aren't the same kinds, are they? Huh. Okay. (laughs) And that is what happened. So God said, 
let this happen, and that's what happened. So again, he's still creating things from nothing with his word. How powerful is God's word? Amazing. If you can speak the sun into existence, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? How powerful is the sun? Really powerful. So, verse 25. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings. So when he says, let us make human beings. So Jesus is the one speaking this into existence. Who is he there with? He's there with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit. So I would say to you that all three are there when creation is taking place. And that here, now they want to make human beings in God's image. In the image of God we are made, right? So when you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't think that you look the way you're supposed to or you don't like whatever feature it is that you have, do not forget God made you in his image. And how are you created? Jesus created you just the way he wants you, for a reason and a purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Do you understand that? And why do we, why do we know that? Because God said so. Does it take faith to believe that? Absolutely. So if we want to know what faith is, since we're talking about faith, when you look in the mirror and you're tempted to think negative things about yourself or your image, stand firm in your faith in Jesus and his promises and what he tells you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and you are made in his image. He made you just the way he wants you for a reason, right? And that takes faith, doesn't it? Does that make sense? You understand the faith part? Okay. So we'll continue on. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So again, God made you in his own image. He created a male and female in his image. He created all of them. Jesus created all of them. Every human. Creation is still taking place, right? We're still people being created and born and Jesus didn't stop. He made each and every one of us in his image. How many times did we just read that? In his image. So when you are tempted to think negative of your image, don't. Because God made you in his image. And if you think, well, I don't look very good, do you think that Jesus doesn't look very good either? Because he made you in his image. Make sense? Do you think there's a reason he repeated it so many times? Do you think there's a reason I repeated it so many times? So we get it through our heads? Yes, I think very much so. So, then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. 
So when it says be fruitful and multiply, does that mean that you have to have a big family to please God? Only if you have eight, ten kids are you pleasing God? When I do multiplication, correct me if I'm wrong, one times two equals two. Is that multiplication? Um, two times two equals four. Two times three equals six. One times two equals two. One times two equals two. Is that not what I said? Did I screw that up? One times two equals two. <laughs> okay. But anyways, my point is, multiply means more than one, right? So one times one is one, but that's not multiplying. And we'll get into a little bit. It takes two to multiply. So, so it doesn't mean that you have to have a big family to please God. And sometimes God calls us when we don't have any offspring or children. But God has a plan for that and a purpose for that. And there's many places in the Bible that we get to read that. Samuel is one of those places. His mom couldn't have children. And then God blessed her, right? So, But God had a purpose in all of that. So, yes. Abraham and Sarah are another couple that didn't have kids until they were very old. But God had a purpose for that, right? And God used that. So, don't get caught up that we have to have big families or we have to have kids. And if we don't, God is mad at us or not pleased with us. So, continue it on. Verse 29. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. So everything he created was very good. And evening passed and morning came marking the sixth day. So we'll continue on here in chapter 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And it was all very good. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all the work of creation. This is the account of creation the creation of the heavens and the earth. So then as we continue on in verse 4, he gives us more details about day 6, right? So he gives us details about creating Adam and Eve and the animals. So so chapter 2 is really him giving us a better expanded detail on day 6, okay? Understand? So we're going to read through that here right now. So when the Lord God made the earth and heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. 
So I think this is pretty important, and this is probably why God goes into more details for day six. So, so far, he just spoke, and everything was created, right? But when it comes to man, he created him from the dust of the ground. So he shaped him, he formed him, and then God breathed his own breath into the man. So God took special care when he created humans. Does that make sense? We read that he didn't create humans like he created everything else with just his word. He formed him from the dust of the ground, breathed breath into him from his own lungs, right? So then verse 8, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called Phison, flowed around the entire land of Havilix, where the gold is found. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and oxen stone are also found there. The second branch is called Gion. Called the Gion flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch, called the Tigris, flowed east from the land of Asfur. The fourth branch, called the Euphrates. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So God brought all the animals and all the birds, the man that he created from the dust of the ground and breathed into his lungs, that man named all these animals. But he didn't find any that was just right for him. He didn't find a a mate for him, a partner in life, a helper, any of that, right? So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib And he brought her to the man. So again, he didn't just speak the woman into existence. He shaped the woman, right? He made her. He took extra care, just like he took extra care when he created the man. But we don't really get to see that in anything else, do we? So I would say to you that he created us very special in his image with a plan and a purpose. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains 
why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. So that explains why the two are united as one. Why a man leaves his father and mother is joined to his wife, right? The two become one. So right here in the beginning, in creation, right away when he created the man and the woman, they were to be partners in life. They were to be helpers. The woman's to help the man, right? But this also speaks of family. God created family right from the beginning. He created marriage right from the beginning. This is the, the verse that explains the creation of marriage. So marriage is not something that that humans came up with. That it's a tradition or a cultural thing. Uh, we've added tradition and cultural things to marriage. But marriage was created from the beginning to be a man and a wife, right? And I'm very thankful for the helper that he gave me. I have an amazing partner in life. The helper. <laughs> the helper elf. <laughs> well, it's not all that bad of a thing. I don't think. So. <laughs> yes. But you know what? At some point, we'll study through the, the the roles of a husband and wife. I know, I know. And the world will tell you that this helper role is not a very glorious role or glamorous role or that this, that, or the other. But I would say to you, don't get caught up in what the world says, okay? That you want to live by pleasing God. So, we'll continue on as we finish up our study here. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So that's the story of creation, right? That's how it all got started. And when we believe that, none of us were there, none of us saw it, right? It takes faith, right? And when we have that faith to believe God at his word, how do we know that this happened? Because we're reading his word. And we believe him at his word, that takes faith. And that's what pleases God, right? So by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That is what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And it takes faith to believe that. And you're not going to have irrefutable proof. You're not going to go back in time and see what happened. You're just going to have to believe God at his word. And when we believe God at his word, when we trust in him, we please him. And we can come and live a righteous life, a life in right standing with God when we have faith in him, right? When we believe that he can do what he says he does. And so when we believe that he can create the heavens and the earth in just the way he said it in six literal days, that pleases God. And that's what we should have is our most important desire in our life is to please God, right? So with that, do you have any questions? No questions? You understand creation now? You understand your role as a helper now? Well, when you get married, your role is a helper. (laughs) No. But I would say that God only calls very few to a life of singleness. So that's not a a common thing. You do be best friends forever. No. Ow. <laughs> okay.
Well, there's no other questions. Let's pray. Are you ready? Dear Father, I thank you for this study. I thank you for this time to come together to learn more about who you are, your word, your will, your ways, how we can just live a life that pleases you, what it means to have faith in the things that you tell us. I ask that you would give each one of us a measure of faith, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would encourage our faith in you, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would meet us right where we're at. Each one of us, we're each going through different struggles in life, different challenges. I just ask that you would meet us, lead us, guide us, encourage us, comfort us, all the things that you promised that I know you can do and that only you can do. That we should be looking to you for our everything. You are our everything. I ask you to protect our families, protect our marriages. That you would give us hearts for our spouses, hearts for our children. That you would give our children obedience and respect for their parents. That you would just continue to speak to our hearts. Speak, speak loudly to us when you want us to move. Just watch over us. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name I pray all these things. Amen.